Let's turn together in our Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 8. We're going to read from verse 37 to verse 47. Jesus is speaking to the Jews. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore also do the things which you heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. Let's pray. Our glorious Father in heaven, Father, thank you for this time that we get to share together as brothers and sisters in the family of God, praising your name. For Lord, that is the reason we exist, is to worship you, to know you, and to rejoice in who you are. And Father, we commit this time to you now as we consider the passage that we've just read and the words of Jesus, these very difficult words. And Lord, I just pray by your Holy Spirit you would help us understand what is being said. Help us not to shy away from the difficult truth. Lord, help us to have ears to hear and open our eyes, Lord, to see into even that which is difficult and dark so that we can see even more clearly how beautiful you are. So Lord, please help us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and glorify your name through the preaching of your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My message this morning is entitled, Having the Devil for a Father. Having the Devil for a Father. And the idea of having the devil for a father is neither popular, easy, or obvious. But it is a truth that proceeded from the mouth of God from the mouth of Jesus himself who came from God. It's truth from his lips. 
And I think, brothers and sisters, that had it not come from his lips, I strongly doubt that anyone today would believe in this idea of having the devil for a father if it had not come from the mouth of Jesus. Yet as the Christian church, we accept this and teach this fact, the fact of diabolical paternity, because Jesus plainly exposed it to be real. And so we teach it and believe it. However, in dealing with the subject of the devil and his fatherhood, we must confess that we are in the territory of dense mystery, of things that are too wonderful for us, of the secret things that belong to the Lord our God. We're in that realm. We're in that area. Whenever we're talking about the devil or angels and how they influence us and how they work in our world, we're very limited in our understanding, true? I mean, does anyone here pretty much know how it all works, how the devil influences and manipulates, how angels serve us? We don't. I'm reminded of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The Apostle Paul talks about going up into the third heaven, And in the third heaven, he said, he saw things and heard things that you can't even utter. Totally unspeakable. And so there are things like that in our faith as Christians. There are things that are just outside the prowess of the human mind, outside what we can understand. And I think this subject, brothers and sisters, of having the devil for a father is in that territory. Now, that doesn't mean we have nothing we can say about it. Clearly, Jesus has something to say about it, and he makes known what is necessary for us and his listeners to understand. But did you notice that in the text, he doesn't answer all of our questions? And by the end of this sermon, you're going to have lots more questions, and they're not all going to be answered. He doesn't solve all of our dilemmas, but he does reveal to us truth and what is necessary for us to accept and understand. It's ours to believe what is plainly revealed by the one who knows all things. Amen? And then we can wrestle with it and trust God for the answer to come in the future. The hymn writer Isaac Watts wrote, When reason fails with all her powers, their faith prevails and love adores. And that's our posture before the God who speaks. So this morning we're going to, we're going to examine this passage which is actually quite consistently focused on one point, this idea of having the devil for a father. There's 10 verses here that we've read, but it's all quite focused on this, fi- this one issue. And I'd like to share with us some reflections on this. I've des- divided the sermon up into two sections. Number one, I'd like to share three facts about the devil. Three facts about the devil taken from the text. And secondly, and lastly, I'd like to share on how to know if the devil is your father. So first, three facts about the devil, and then how to know if the devil is your father. Three facts about the devil. Now, the first two facts will be more of a refresher for everybody, because I'm sure most of you know these facts. The last one will perhaps be less familiar and more newsworthy. Number one. The first fact about the devil that we can take out of this text is that the devil is real. The devil is real. Now notice, right from the beginning of the passage in verse 37 that we read, Jesus proceeds to speak about their true father. So the whole discussion is about their father, their true father. 
And this point runs all through the verses, but it culminates in verse 44. So notice in verse 37, he says, Look, I know you're Abraham's descendants, but Abraham is not really your true father. You're Abraham's descendants, but look what you're doing. In verse 38, I speak the things which I've seen with my father. You do the things that you have heard with your father. In verse 39, they say, Abraham is our father. He says, no, Abraham is not your true father. If you were Abraham's descendants, do the deeds of Abraham. Do what Abraham did. But since you're seeking to kill me, verse 41, you're doing the deeds of your father. So he still hasn't revealed who he's thinking of here, but he's talking about who their true father is. In verse 41, they say, our father is God. We're not born of fornication. We're not illegitimate children of God. We are the true children of God. And Jesus says, no, if you were of God, you would love me. You don't love me. You don't accept me. You would hear my word and embrace it because I'm speaking the words of God. I come from God. But as it is, you're not the children of God. And in verse 44, he finally is explicit. You are of your father, the devil. So Jesus unquestionably believed that the devil was real. Amen? And he didn't just believe that the devil existed far away. It's not enough simply to believe that the devil is real, is a person, he exists, but to think that he's far away, to think that he doesn't really affect us, to think that he doesn't really have anything to do with us. Jesus not only believes in the existence of the devil, but in his imminence and in his activity among men. Now, the question that we need to ask ourselves as we read this is, do we also believe, one, that the devil is real, and two, that the devil is active and close and involved in the affairs of men? Because Jesus did and does. I think it's important for us to frequently pause and recognize the reality of the devil, because it's easy to forget, and also we live in a day and age when the devil is extremely popular as a fictional character, right? So that everybody knows about the devil. And the devil's even popular on movies and books and film. You know, the the devil's a pretty iconic, popular figure, but fictional in people's minds. And most of our exposure, if we're not in the Bible all the time, most of our exposure to the devil is in a fictional setting, right? And so we can forget. For what these studies are worth, the Barna Group, which conducts these surveys, I was reading online, they they conducted a survey of 1,900 people in America who call themselves Christians, and they asked them if they believed that the devil was a real being, or if the devil and Satan was just a symbol of evil, not really a real being, just kind of a a, per, liter, uh, you know, a, a tool in literature, personification of evil. And only 35% of the people that they, uh, that they interviewed believed that the devil was a real being out of 1,900 people who call themselves Christians. The author Ian Murray wrote about why it's so important to recognize the reality of the devil. And here's what he said. The recognition of Satan keeps before us the fact that evil is not merely an idea, it is a great and personal power. 
It teaches us that errors over the gospel are not innocent mistakes. They are demonic deceptions. The existence of Satan as the ruler of all unregenerate men and women is also a final proof that the difference between Christian and, not, and the non-Christian is absolute and radical. You see, you might think that when someone doesn't believe in the gospel, that they're just making an innocent mistake, right? That they just, they just haven't read the right book. And the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian isn't all that radical and absolute. The Christian just knows a little bit more than the non-Christian. And we're, when we don't recognize the reality of Satan, then we won't recognize really what's at stake, really what's behind uh, unbelief, really what separates Christians from non-Christians. It is radical. In other words, recognizing that the devil is real is recognizing that it's not merely ignorance or weakness or flesh and blood that are the primary antagonisms in life towards God, but spiritual wickedness in high places, as Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6. They're the ones that we're really wrestling with. We're not merely wrestling with ignorance or weakness or flesh and blood or humans or even ourselves, but with Satan. We have an enemy who is active. He actively wants to deceive, and we have to be on our guard and aware of him and his schemes, the Bible teaches us. So number one, the fact that we take from this passage is the devil is real and active. The second fact we can take from this passage is this. Although the devil is the enemy of God, he is in no way God's evil twin, right? What I mean by that is the devil is a creature of God. He is not an eternal being who has existed beside God for all of eternity in cosmic opposition to God, amen? Only God is eternal and uncreated and everything else is created and that includes the devil as well. Think about it for a moment. God has existed, and this again is one of those things that is too wonderful for us. We're never going to wrap our minds around it, but we, we can say something about it and acknowledge this fact. God has existed eternally without the devil. Amen? God has not been opposed by the devil for all of eternity, and God will not be opposed by the devil for all eternity also. Amen? And if you think about time relative to God, then really the opposition of Satan to God is just a little blip on God's radar, right? It's just a little blip on his timeline. For eternity, the devil hasn't bothered him. For eternity, the devil won't bother him. It's just a little blink at this point. Fascinating to think about. We live in that little blink, though, don't we? So that little blink seems so big, doesn't it? The devil seems so pervasive, and he is. But really, if you put it in perspective, it's just a blip. So look at verse 44 with me. And Jesus tells us, he was a murderer from the beginning. Now, from the beginning means either from his beginning, he was a murderer because devil, the devil was created and had a beginning, or from the beginning as we humans reckon the beginning, in our own history of this world and of the created realm. He was a murderer from the beginning. When he tempted our first parents to sin in order to bring death upon them, he wasn't a murderer with 
a gun or, or a sword, but he was a murderer by lying to our, our first parents and causing them to fall into death, and he knew that they would die. Turn with me to chapter 1 of John. John chapter 1, and the first verse. John here speaks of the beginning also. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, John 1 doesn't mean that God had a beginning, and John 1, 1 doesn't mean that the Word had a beginning, because God, the Word is God, and God has no beginning. He's existed for, for eternity forever. But in the beginning, when God created the world, our beginning, God was there. The Word was there. The Word was there in the beginning with God. In verse 3, creation is clearly in view. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And that includes the devil. Colossians, turn there with me. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16. And here we have a very clear statement that even the devil was created and exists for God's purpose. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 says, For by him, Christ, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Isn't that an amazing statement? What does everything exist for, brothers and sisters? Everything exists for Jesus Christ, including all those demons that have fallen and the devil himself. The theologian Sam Storms writes, Satan, like all other angels, was created at a point in time. Satan is not eternal. He is a finite creature. He is therefore God's devil. That's kind of a radical thing to say, but if you think about it, it's true. <clears throat> Satan is not the equal and opposite power of God. His power is not infinite. He does not possess divine attributes. In sum, he is no match for God. But if God created everything including the devil, and God created everything good, and God is sovereign over all things, and he rules in his sovereignty in perfect goodness, then an obvious question is, how did the devil become the devil, right? If God created it all and he created it good, he didn't create the devil evil. How did the devil become the devil? How did he fall from his original state? And that's a question that has vexed theologians for millennia. It's probably vexed you too, and it's vexed me. And the answer to that question uh, is that the Bible does not give us an answer to that question. That's not an answer that we like to hear usually, is it? We always like to have the answer. That, no, 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 come on, Eli, you, can you give me something better than that? Come on, give me something that makes sense to my mind. And I think this is one of those things that are too wonderful for us, a secret thing that God has kept to himself, one of those mysteries we must wait until eternity for God to make known. And in the meantime, hold together these biblical facts. God created all things. He created all things good. He rules over all things in his good 
and perfect sovereignty, and yet Satan fell from his original state. God permitted that to happen. Satan is a creature under God's sovereignty. God permitted his fall, and he makes use of him for his own purpose and for his own glory in magnifying Christ. But that's basically all we can say as uh, Bible readers and as Christians. If you don't like that, I'm sorry. <laughs> the third fact. So we've seen the devil is real. We've seen that the devil, although he's the enemy of God, he's not God's evil twin. The third fact that we take from this text, and let's go back to John chapter 8, is the obvious one, and that is the devil is a father. The devil is a father. Now, although this is also difficult to understand, it is the plain teaching of this text that the devil is a father. And as you look through this passage, Jesus is telling them over and over and over the very same thing. And here's basically what he's saying. You are acting just like your father. And by your father, I don't mean Abraham. I don't mean God. You are acting just like your father, the devil. Now, friends, this is an utterly shocking and damning charge. Let's not miss how shocking and damning this charge is. Can you imagine a worse indictment? Try to imagine a worse indictment to say to somebody. You know the way that you're acting? Just like your pappy. The way that you're acting is diabolical. You're acting diabolical. Proving not merely that you're like the devil. That would be a bad enough rebuke, wouldn't it? Dale, you're acting just like the devil right now. <laughs> right? That'd be bad enough. To say that you're like the devil would be bad enough. But what Jesus' point here is more than just you're acting like the devil, but he's saying you're acting like the devil because you're from the devil. You're acting just like your father. He is the origin and the source of your behavior, of what you're doing. Let's not miss what Jesus is saying. He's not just saying, you know, you remind me of the devil. But you are of your father, the devil. You're a chip off of the old block. The devil is behind what you do, governing and controlling and, con and calling the shots of what you're doing. That's a really serious charge. I can't think of a worse charge than that. You're diabolical. You're of the devil. Now, this doesn't get them off the hook. Jesus isn't saying, you're of your father, the devil, so no worries. He's at fault. Because they are willing captives. And this is the mystery the scripture tells us that men and women are controlled by the prince and the power of the air, taken captive to do his will, and yet it's not an obvious thing to them. They don't think they're captive of the devil. In fact, they, they would think they're not of the devil. And yet they're willingly and pleasingly doing the things that the devil wants them to do. And no, they're not off the hook. They will share in the guilt of the devil. This notion of fatherhood 
is identical to and paralleled with the fatherhood of God in this very passage. For God is said to be the father of Jesus and the father of those who believe as well. So look at verse 38, John 8, 38. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. So Jesus is saying, I'm doing what my father does. And he said that all throughout the Gospel of John, right? Whatever the Father does, whatever he shows me to do, whatever he tells me to do, I'm doing those things. And Jesus is not simply saying, I'm like the Father, and he is, but I'm from the Father, right? right. The Father is the origin and the source of what I'm doing. I'm a chip off his block. I'm not just like him, I'm from him. And it's the same also with those who believe. In verse 42, Jesus says, If God were your Father, you'd love me, because the Father loves me. The Father loves me because I'm like him, and I always obey him, and I always speak the truth. And if you were of him, you would embrace me and love me and recognize me as well. And he says this also in verse 47. He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. There's really only two fathers in this passage. There's God, the father, and there's the devil. Now, we might say, well, what about Abraham? Yes, Abraham is here as well, but I think we miss the point if we think there's three fathers. Abraham also was a child of God, and to be like Abraham is simply to be, again, like God because Abraham was one of God's children who rejoiced and loved Jesus or the Messiah. This idea of fatherhood in this text indicates that we take on the features of our father. Now, you remember in the book of Genesis, each will bring forth after their kind, right? And so there's a principle of fatherhood or generation that the children take on the kind or the features of their parents. Now, someone might ask a question at this point, Hold on, Eli. I have a question. People don't always act like their fathers, right? Have you ever thought about that when the Bible talks about being like your father? Have you ever thought about how, you know, I'm not that much like my dad. Or, you know, there were six kids in my family and we, we were all pretty different. And some were more like him and some were not more like, some were more like mom, some, you know, but some were totally unique and not like mom or dad at all, right? And so how, what is this principle that the Bible says you're like your father, you'll do the deeds of your father, when it seems like we don't always act like our fathers in every way? But this question misses the point of what after its kind means. And I'd like you just to consider something this morning and maybe change your perspective a little bit on this. That being born after the kind of another thing or being born of your father according to this passage, is not about whether you have the personality of your father, but whether you have the likeness of kind to your father. And to make that even more plain, we're not so much talking about traits as we are species. What is a species? A species is something that uniquely produces offspring. And you can have all sorts of humans with different personalities, even in one family. But they're all human. They're all of the same species. One of the joys of uh, being a dad is watching Eusebia grow up and 
watching her, trying to see, does she look like me or does she look like Bethany? You know, and we always ask people, what, what do you think? Oh, her, well, her eyes are like you and her... And then also watching her personality as she's going to get older. Oh, look, she's acting just like Bethany or she's acting just like me. It's kind of neat to discern that. But she's definitely human, right? <laughs> she's been born after our kind. She's not a butterfly, right? Or a badger <laughs> or, you know. She's been born after our kind. She's from the human family. And I think, brothers and sisters, that when Jesus is talking about being born of God and being born of the devil or being a child of the devil, he's not so much talking about various personality traits within a kind. He's actually talking about two very different kinds of spiritual people. It's that radical of a difference to be a child of God and to be a child of the devil. We're talking about two different species, I think, in this text. Look at verse 23 of John chapter 8. He says, And he was saying to them, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. There's are two totally different kinds of people. Jesus was a totally different kind of person than the rest of this world. Now, I'm in no way suggesting Christians are biologically different than non-Christians. Right? <laughs> We're all biologically the same kind. We're all human beings. We're all made in the image of God and we're all, we share that together whether we're Christian or not. But I'm simply putting forward what I think Jesus is putting forward. That is, there are different spiritual kinds of people. As radically different as different species. Different kinds, different origins, radically different origins. And I'm not in any way suggesting that as Christians we've ceased to be creatures or that we've become somehow divine and little gods. God has attributes that are incommunicable. He is alone God. We will always be creatures. But there are some things that he communicates to us and we share with him. And what Jesus, I think, is saying is that there are people who share in some spiritual way, in the likeness of the kind of God. We're talking, of course, here in, uh, in an analogy or in a metaphor. This is not physical or literal fatherhood, but I think fatherhood is the best way. The Bible is telling us that fatherhood is the best way of describing the spiritual origin, source, governing principle of what we are and what we do. So again, this is something that's kind of hard to understand, right? And honestly, I don't know how it all works. I think this is a thing too wonderful for me. How does the devil govern and control? And how, does he, how is he the source of the things that we do? How is the spirit the source of the things that we do and of faith? I don't know. But I know that this is how it works, according to John, chapter 8. That we are all captives to do the devil's will, though we're willing, though we're responsible, until God, the Bible tells us, grants us repentance and causes us to be born again, not of the flesh, but of the Spirit, in which we willingly follow him, and God gets all the credit and all the glory for what we've done. 
This is what he says in, Jesus says in John chapter 3, that those who come to the light and do the truth and confess their sins show that what they've done has been done through God. God is the one who gets the glory and the credit. So the three facts from this passage is, are these. The devil is real and active. He's a creature. And he, like God, is a father. And now my last point this morning is, how do you know if the devil is your father? We come to the all-important question here. If the devil is a father, how do we know if we are his children or not? How do we know if someone else is his child or not? Now, what do you think? If you were to think about this, if you had the devil as your father, or if a friend of yours had the devil as his father, and you were in the brood of vipers, what do you envision that would look like? What would a person be like who is an offspring of the viper and who is a child of the devil? What what features and distinctives would exist in such a person or in such a group? Now, I think that most people would say something along the lines of what Moroni chapter 7 says. So, if you've read the Book of Mormon, uh, then you may recognize this. In Moroni chapter 7 in the Book of Mormon, um, the Book of Mormon teaches that the devil, here's here's what he does and here's what he's like. He continually entices you to sin and do evil deeds. And he persuades no one to do anything good. Moroni chapter 7. So when you think about the devil from the Mormon perspective, the Book of Mormon perspective, you've got a a character, a person, who's very much that horns and pitchfork kind of creature, right? Who's very much, I would never, ever, ever persuade you to do anything good. And I continually entice you to do evil deeds. And Moroni chapter 7 is actually about recognizing the devil. And it says, this is how you recognize the devil. This is how you know when the devil is around. If the devil's enticing you to sin, if, if you're ever feeling enticed to sin, that's the devil. If you're ever feeling enticed to do something good, that's not the devil. And I think most people would probably say something along those lines if they were to, if they were to answer, uh, what is it like to be a child of the devil? Well, if the devil's like that, then to be a child of the devil would be either to be in an altogether wicked, wickedly evil state in which all you're doing is bad and no good, or you're dominated by bad. The bad has won the day. The bad has outweighed the good. And, and when people think, look at you, or when you look at yourself, yeah, you're, you're basically just bad and not good in your deeds. I'd like to share a different perspective, however. Um, the preacher, the, the early 20th century preacher, Donald Gray Barnhouse, who was pastor at 10th Presbyterian 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, he said this, if Satan took over Philadelphia, he's reflecting, what would it look like if Satan took over Philadelphia? If Satan took over Philadelphia, all the bars would be closed. Pornography banished. And pristine streets would be filled with tidy pedestrians who smiled at each other. There would be no swearing. 
the children would say yes sir and no ma'am and churches would be full every Sunday where Christ is not preached. What do you think? You think that's true? What's your picture of the devil? You know, if devil took over Logan or Philadelphia, do you think it would just descend into utter anarchy? And people say, oh, this is terrible having the devil taking over Philadelphia. No, this is the worst. It's so uncomfortable and unpleasant. And man, we need to get the devil out of here and get, get God back on the, on the throne. I think Bonnerhouse is absolutely right. If the devil took over, everything would be nice, but Christ would not be preached. And that would be the, the great deception of it all, wouldn't it? That in the absence of truth and in the absence of Christ, we appear to flourish. And isn't that exactly the situation that Jesus is in, in John chapter 8? The people that Jesus is speaking to and the ones that he says, you are of your father, the devil. What you're doing is like him and has its source in him. He's not talking to the adulterers. He's not talking to the drug addicts. He's not talking to the tax collectors. He's talking to the ultra-religious Jews who would have been very devout, very uh, in, their, uh, in their behavior, apparently righteous. In fact, the culture in that day considered these people to be righteous, God-fearing, good people. And these are the ones, and only these ones. He doesn't go around saying that to everybody, but he has to say to these guys, you are of your father, the devil. And Jesus consistently hammers this point home over and over and over again. You're of your father, the devil. And what is the reason he says that, according to this passage? You're of your father, the devil, because you don't, you don't persuade anyone to do good deeds. You're of your father, the devil, because you continually entice people to sin. You're of your father, the devil, because you don't care at all about... No. You're of your father, the devil, because my word has no place in you. That's what he says over and over and over. It's all about the receptivity and the embrace of the truth of God. What is the word? What is the truth? Well, we've been seeing this throughout this series. We've been talking about it. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus came into the world to reveal to us reality. He came into the world to show us who God is, to show us God's righteousness, what it really is, not what everyone thinks it is. Everybody thinks it's something else, but God's righteousness is absolute, perfect, blameless, spotless, sinless love, and he requires that. And he came into the world to show us the reality of human beings and the reality of human unrighteousness. Jesus preached, nobody is good. Nobody is righteous. Nobody will inherit eternal life in the kingdom of God by seeking to obey God's law, no matter how much hard they try, no matter how much they think they succeed. No one will make it. All are unrighteous, all are wicked, all are depraved, and all need grace. This is Jesus' message, that the way to actually be saved and the way to be righteous and the way to inherit eternal life is not by your works, is not by working, is not by obeying the law. It's actually by believing in Jesus and what he is 
come, what he has come into the world to do, which is to lay down his life for sinners and to die for our sins. You put your trust in the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You confess your unrighteousness and your sin. You acknowledge the righteousness of God. You believe in the grace of God. You put all your hope in Christ, the Savior that God promised and gave, and you shall be saved. And they hated this message. They not only disbelieved it, they hated it. They did not approve of it. They did not like it. It wasn't good news to them. And they hated Jesus for bringing it. Ultimately, what that means is they really hated God. Now, who hates God? The devil and his children. It's not just, oh, you're a little ignorant. Oh, you're a little weak. Oh, you just don't get it. You hate God. You don't approve of this message. Lewis Schaefer says, Satan's lawlessness was not a mere disregard for an existing code of regulations. It was a complete rejection of the lawgiver and all his benevolent intentions. It, was a, and it is an animosity against God himself and who he is. It's a murderous opposition, verse 37. You seek to kill me. Now, Jesus is not talking about just murder in general for any reason, brothers and sisters. When he talks about murder and killing, it's in this context, murder and killing for the truth's sake. Because my word has no place in you, because I'm speaking to you the words of God, verse 37 tells us, verse 39 to 41 tells us, verse 42 tells us, you want to kill me because of the truth. So this isn't just murder in general. Murder for whatever reason. But the devil is murderous because of his hostility towards the truth. And in verse 43, we see a sense of futility in what human beings can do. Apart from God's Spirit, you cannot hear, you cannot understand what I'm saying. And look at verse 45 and 46. Because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Wait, why don't they believe in Jesus? Did he say, um, what is the reason they don't believe the truth, according to verse 45? Because I speak the truth, you don't believe me. I don't, I don't know of any worse condition a person can be in than that. Can you? You reject what I'm saying because it's the truth. And in verse 44, we have here the definition of the devil, Jesus' description of the devil. This is really what it's all about if you want to know what the devil is all about. He says in verse 44 that you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. What are the desires of the devil? In the context of the Gospel of John, what Jesus, I think, is saying here is that you... You who, reject, you who reject me are just like the devil in that you want to do not God's will, but your own will. You don't want to acknowledge who God is because that means that you're not as great as you thought you were. You don't want to humbly confess your unrighteousness and receive the grace of God because that would mean no one can boast. Your desire is to receive praise and glory. And this is the devil's desire as well. 
You don't want to admit your shame. And notice the emphasis on truth in this verse. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when Jesus describes the devil, it's all about truth and lies and murderous hostility to God and to Christ on account of the truth's sake. That's what we should think of when we think about the devil, brothers and sisters. And when we take it all in, when we consider the description of the devil here, we can see, finally, that in his features, Satan is exactly the opposite of Jesus Christ and the glory of God. Now, you remember in the prologue, John chapter 1, verse 14, we're told this, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only unique, one and only Son of God, full of what? What, is, what does he say when he says, we saw Jesus, he was so glorious, he revealed the glory of who God is, and let me tell you what that glory was. It was full of grace and truth. That's just the opposite of the devil, isn't it? What is God like? He is full full of grace and truth, and that is his glory. He is gracious towards sinners. He is glad to lift up those who are on the dunghill, those who deserve to be on the dunghill. He is glad to bless those who deserve to be cursed. He sent his son into the world to die for our sins, to bear all of our punishment, to take all of our unrighteousness so that we could have as a free gift the righteousness of God by simply believing in him and so that we could have what we don't deserve, eternal life with God. He is gracious, brothers and sisters. That's what Jesus has revealed to us. You want to know what God is like? He's not what these Pharisees say he is. He's not what these ancient or modern Pharisees say he is. He's full of grace and he will bless you and it's not merited and he's full of truth he speaks the truth why does god and why does christ speak the truth because that is his nature god is light and in him there is no darkness at all and so he speaks the truth and light goes forth from him so this is his nature grace and truth and we see Satan is not full of grace at all, but murder. Again, this is not general murder. This is murder on account of righteousness and on account of God and on account of the truth. This is essentially hostility towards grace, total hostility towards grace. This is murder that stems from pride. It's murder that despises the idea that the undeserving receive blessings and that those who work are rejected. It's the Canish murder when he killed Abel because Abel was accepted freely and Cain was rejected after he had sweat his face off trying to produce all of these works, right? That's of the devil. Amen. 
So this murder in Satan is the opposite of grace. He hates that idea of grace. And he can't speak the truth. Why? Because he speaks lot when he speaks lies, he speaks from his own nature. He's full of darkness. It's his own language to speak lies. So when we look at Satan, brothers and sisters, we see the antithesis of God's glory. The opposite of God's glory. We see a shameful creature, disgusting and dishonorable, full of lies and murder, twisted in unreality. This is what Satan is all about. So how then do you know if someone is of the devil? How do you know if the devil is your father or not? The answer is is very simple, and we can see it right here in the text. The question to ask yourself is, do you believe the truth? Is it really that simple, do you think? Eli, it has to be more than that. Okay, you can believe that anyone can believe the truth, right? Anybody can believe in Jesus. Anybody can walk in the light. Anybody can accept grace, right? It, what's, what's really difficult is that you are not just believing, but, you know, obeying all the commandments and doing all the things that you're supposed to. You know, if you're going to be like God, you've got to be righteous like God in your behavior. And if you're going to be like the devil, that just means you're unrighteous like God in your behavior. Well, my question to that person would be, is there anyone who is righteous like God in their behavior? We're all fallen. We're all sinful. We're all fall short of the glory of God. And the text doesn't teach that, friends. The text teaches that what marks the child of the devil and the child of God is their posture towards the truth. The truth is only God is righteous. The question is, are you going to acknowledge that? Are you going to walk in that light? Are you going to walk in the reality that God is the righteous God, we are unrighteous, and he's a God of grace? That's the reality. The whole thing is about grace. That's the reason God created the world, for Jesus who came to die for us and give us grace. And so to walk in the truth is the distinctive difference. And no, not anyone can believe in the truth. And no, not anyone can believe in Christ. And no, it's not easy to believe in grace. That's the most opposite, contrary, radically different thing that a, that a person can do. It's a miracle if you do. When you meet someone who really believes in the gospel, you should just be blown away and say, wow, this is a child of God. They sin like me. They sin like everybody. But they confess their sins and, and they recognize their unrighteous and have accepted his righteousness. This person is of God. They hear God's word, verse 47. God's word has a place in them. They understand and accept God's truth and trust his grace. So that's the question. What is your attitude towards truth? Here's two fancy words if you'd like to uh, use them. I find them to be helpful. Uh, are you photophilic or are you photophobic? Photo, if you, part, if you look at the word, photo means light. Philic means you love the light. You are one who receives the light. You're not hostile to the light. Someone who's photophobic is someone who hates the light, doesn't accept the light, rejects the light, runs from the light, doesn't want to have anything to do with the light. 
So there's only two kinds of people in this world, the photophilic and the photophobic. And this is the mark of whether you're of the devil or whether you're of God. If you're of God, you're photophilic. The truth comes to you and you say, yep, that's it. So be encouraged, brothers and sisters. If you believe the truth, you are not a child of the devil, no matter how sinful your behavior is. You may look at your behavior and say, boy, I I am not righteous. That's true. The Bible says you're not, right? I'm a bad guy. That's true. The Bible says you are. But if you're believing the gospel, if you're believing the truth, if you're believing God's testimony towards you and toward himself, then you're in the light. You're not a child of the devil, no matter how sinful you are. And no matter how clean or sinless or religious you are, if you reject the truth, you are a child of the devil. True? Yeah, but that person, they look so good. They're clearly more righteous than I am. But what is their posture, stance towards the truth, which is ultimately their stance toward God? So in closing this morning, I'd like to leave, leave you with four, four brief exhortations. Number one, be conscious of how deep and total the fall of mankind was. When human beings followed the devil in the Garden of Eden, we didn't just scrape our knee. We didn't just fall a little bit and we just kind of need to dust ourselves off and say, I can take care of this and get back up. We fell totally and completely into captivity. We became the children of the devil and he became our ruler. We became captive to his will. And yet all along, we were basically just walking with the devil willfully in mutual hatred of God. And that is a condition we could not just get ourselves out of. So appreciate how deep and total the fall of mankind was. When you think about unregenerate, fallen humanity, you need to think children of the devil. Secondly, don't be surprised at the world's hostility to you for the truth's sake. Expect it and love them despite it. Because Christ loved this world despite the fact that we were the children of the devil and he came to save us. Thirdly, be astonished at the goodness of God in saving such people, such wicked people as the children of the devil. He did not have to. We had rebelled against God and fallen with the devil. He could have just left us alone in the devil's grip to perish eternally Let's marvel this morning afresh and again at the amazing grace of God in coming to save wicked children of the devil. You and me, that's what we were. And then lastly, pray for God to deliver you and others from the evil one. Jesus taught us to pray. This is part of recognizing the reality and the activity of the devil. And the Bible teaches us, not only in the Lord's Prayer, but in the epistles as well, that one of our weapons against the devil is prayer. And I think if we don't believe in the reality of the devil or recognize his activity, then we won't find ourselves praying, God, please lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. Confound the devil and his schemes. Help me resist him. 
because it's not in our power or our, in our strength that we oppose him and resist him or are delivered from him. It's in the spirit and the working of God. So prayer means dependency upon him and recognizing we have an adversary who's greater than us and we need God. Amen? Amen. So let us give glory to God for rescuing us from the unspeakably horrible condition of having the devil as a father. Please stand with me as we pray. Father, thank you and praise you for considering us and loving us even while we were your enemies and hostile to you in enmity with your truth, deserving your wrath. Thank you so much, Lord, for not leaving us there as we deserved. And I just pray, Lord, that you would help us all this morning have a fresh wonder at your goodness. And Father, we just praise you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who has revealed the truth to us and who took our place on the cross and delivered us from the grip of the devil. So Lord, we thank you. And I pray, Father, that um, you'd give us courage to proclaim the light in this dark world that we live in, that you would draw many to yourself and save many, save our family members who don't know you, save our family who don't know you, Lord, our friends who don't know you, deliver them from the evil one we ask and we pray. And Father, we just thank you that one day our enemy will be completely crushed under our feet and you get all the glory. Thank you for this time in your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.